Welcome to Serving Aces. I'm Alexandra Stevenson, here with my co-host, Oog Levadier. Welcome, Oogie. Hey, Alexandra, how are you? I'm doing fabulous. So I heard from a little bird that you were in the Eastern Canadian Championships this week and you got to the finals today. And That's right. Give me a little rundown. And also you're playing on clay, which is our whole theme for the next couple weeks since the ATP and WTA Tour are on clay leading up to the French Open. That's right. There's a lot of big tournaments on clay coming up for uh, for us to watch and to follow. And uh, yeah, I, I spent uh, pretty much the whole week in Montreal this uh, this past five days because I was trying to win the Eastern Canadian Championship for for senior players. And uh, let me tell you something. Right now, my body aches so much. <laughs> well, you I'm did. Sore. You played I'm singles sore. and doubles. Uh, I, we played uh, eight matches in five days, so that's a wow. lot of tennis. Uh, on clay, so uh, there's so many rallies, running all over the place, sliding, getting back to the middle of the court. Some I ran so many drop shots, I can't even count them anymore. Uh, so it's super fun though, because you know, people, a uh, couple of players like me are like we play on the ATP tour, and now we're just having fun playing tennis. There's no more pressure. Of course, we want to win, but there's no more expectations about we have to win this match in order to progress and make a career out of it, and you know how. To, there's huge pressure every time you have to step on the court. But so it was fun. We uh, lost in finals today in two sets against a guy from Belgium who's a Canadian now, but uh, he's used to play on clay. Let me tell you something. He had this slice back in going. He's running everywhere, sliding well. I was hitting hard, trying to attack all the time. Uh, so yeah, I lost in two sets, but we took uh, two hours and 15 minutes for that battle. So he earned it. I, I know. I and, yeah. And you did. You made him earn it. And I, you told me it was. It was the score didn't belie the effort level and the games within the points within the games, which happens a lot, especially on the tour and the top level. And you guys have played on the tour. So it was a battle and yep. especially it can happen on clay. I mean, you can lose a set six one and feel like you played an hour and 15 minutes. That's right. I mean, I was up like 40, 15 and. I, I think almost every game, I'm kidding, of course, but uh, half of the set, I, I was up in every game almost, but the the major points were coming up and I would, suddenly would hit a big serve and he would mix it and, you know, I would yeah, miss and, a little volley there. So And that's what happens. That's why I always had trouble on clay. You're up 40-15, it's all of a sudden deuce. And then you're like, yeah. wait, what? How come my slice wide didn't work? <laughs> it came yeah. back. <laughs> what happened? Exactly. I was serving and then... It came back, and then suddenly I have to rally more, and then the momentum switch. That's what's tough on clay. Because yes. hard court, you can just boom serves everywhere, and then you're kind of okay holding serve. But on clay, there's that huge momentum that whenever you start rallying, if you lose some rallies, then whoops, you're noticing a certain patterns of play, and then that person can make it every point almost because there's so many rallies almost every point you can't you can't get free points almost so yeah, and your serve tough. your serve gets neutralized a lot something exactly. that i watched a little bit um we're, we're gonna go talking about madrid because madrid's going on right now but madrid is red clay you played on green clay yeah so it's, it's a bit different and but madrid has a little altitude so the ball flies through the air faster so You're watching right. Madrid, the points, a lot of the players are coming in more to the court, finishing off with volleys, and then the returners are moving back a little bit more, giving themselves more time. And something I noticed when Taylor Fritz was playing his match, 
And then Andy Roddick commentated on it that Mm -hmm. Fritz has moved his return stance back a couple feet. And he usually likes to stay right on top of that baseline with those hard-hitting strokes. But with his strategy with Michael Russell, maybe Paul Anacone, they told him to move back, and it seems to be working. You're right, totally, because that's something I noticed in my match after I lost today. I was like, what am I doing? I'm returning like this is hard course. So you're up on the baseline. Oh my gosh, inside the baseline on second serve. And he's at, Olivier has this big kick serve on my backhand. So I'm like, it's moving up and I'm hitting hard at it. But then I have to get back to the middle of the court. And he's like, my return is, even if it's long and hard, it just stops in the clay, sits up a little bit. He has time to hit his forehand in the open court. I'm like, okay, this is another winner. And then he puts you on the run. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. So that's one one thing in two weeks when I get back on the court and we're going to play outside because that was indoors clay. So that was different as well you know not that much room and we're playing with u.s open balls so those balls were flying all over the place i had to restrain all my rackets five pounds more because i was hitting so everywhere the the ball would fly yep and then you have to slide and recover back okay so oogie you got to do the taylor fritz we're going to call it the taylor fritz clay season return right you're going to go out there stand 10 feet behind the baseline maybe maybe six feet yeah, because and, we don't serve as hard as that. Yeah, maybe six feet for you and then work on it because you and I know we both, both of us like to pounce on that baseline yeah, and it, it's really hard to back up. It is. It is. And it's a strategy for us because I, I remember when we were getting ready for Wimbledon, especially I serve you so many times and you had to hit returns after return yes. and on the rise and on the baseline and because as soon as you hit cross court or even deep in the middle, you, you take advantage of, the, of that return for pros. So yeah. if you're able to do it, then it's a big advantage because the player right away has to serve, come back, and it's even there in their feet. So they're getting that ball up and you can whack your forehand. And But Clay, you can't do that. It's so tough. And that's more like a Medvedev, Nadal, stand back. Dominic yes. Team is doing that. Well, I was watching Dominic Team play against... Uh, Tsitsipas, he had a huge match. Yeah, you told me he's to back, Ugi. He's back. That's what I, yeah, I, I told you that because I said Dominic team is back because he had like a couple months of, you know, tough matches. He, you know, he didn't win a set against any top tenors for 10 matches. So that was tough for him because he, he was in a top 10 and not, now he can't, he couldn't compete. Well, uh, and he had a pretty bad class. wrist injury. Yeah, that's so, exactly. You had to come back from that. You yeah. had to come back, and then you have to learn how to feel the ball through your hand and your wrist, and get your cover back, which means yeah. your top spin, your cover of your racket head, and yeah. now it seems like he's finally felt it and he feels more comfortable. And we we know yeah. he loves clay. He won the U.S. Open, but he's also he's done yeah. very well in clay in the past. He grew up on it. He's definitely a clay specialist, and and I was gonna I'm gonna put him you know, like in the t- in my top eight for French Open this year because oh I, oh yeah he's back for real because okay. when he was playing Tsitsipas he was doing his old tricks you know standing back rolling his back in cross court very solid top spin so Tsitsipas was running all over the place and those rallies on the forehand even were very high so yeah so Tsitsipas got a little little lucky at the end he was sneaked the match in a tie break in the third set but. Uh, yeah, Dominic, Dominic is back. So I really like him now. Yeah. Okay. I like that. So when we do our French open picks, I know you're going to pick team as one of them. Yep, for sure. Okay. Well, we have, uh, we had a little bit of a cool thing 
this Andreva, Andreva,、mm. she's a young、oh. 16 year old. Well, she was 15, but she turned 16 yesterday. <laughs> and she's making her way through and she's won a bunch of matches on the ITF tour and now the WTA tour. She's making some noise and she plays Sabalenka next. That should be an、Ooh. interesting showdown on clay. Two sure, Russians. See, there you go. Well, Sabalenka is close to Russia. Well, but, Sabalenka、uh, yeah, sure. is Belarusian. Yeah, that's it.、So. Close <laughs> enough. And、uh, that's going to be a huge, big hitters match for sure because she took care of、uh, our Canadian friend, Leila Fernandez, in first round. So that was kind of an easy match for her. And、uh, now she's rolling. So she's yeah, got some confidence going. Yeah, and she's playing and... well on clay. And that's unusual for a Russian, you know, a young Russian. Usually they're hardcore players. So this girl's it's interesting. It's true. We have, to, we have to watch her a little bit more closely so we、yeah. can see. And I like, I, I like that Taylor Fritz is hanging in there, Southern California boy going over to Monte Carlo, doing pretty well. He's just、yep. playing this whole clay season, Oogie. He is digging in. And you know, when you go over there, you have to stay there. You can't really come back、oh. to the States and then come back. You, it's, it's best didn't, to. Didn't you say something about that? Play the like, season.、Oh, just to hear. Yeah, yeah he, he, said, he、right? said, he said, look, if you're going to go play the season, you got to stay over. You got to commit to the two months and you just can't go home. And he's right because you break the rhythm in America. What are you going to go practice on green clay? It's just not the same. You're right. I mean, he's right. You can't just go back and forth. When you're in Europe, you got to stay in Europe. And then the, the tour goes somewhere else, right? I mean,、yes. it's going to go through France and then. England up north a little bit, and then it's going to come back to the States. So he's got to bring his, all his posse with him. His team has to yeah, be with the him. The team and... is on the road, including the girlfriend. There you go. You now, I heard a funny thing that right now the ladies who are my age or a little younger are now freezing their eggs in Barcelona, Spain, Oogie, because it's cheaper than America. Oh my gosh, what is going on? I, don't, I, want, to, I want to hear more. So, well, I don't know if his girlfriend wants to freeze her eggs, but she could always hop on、oh. the train from Madrid to Barcelona and go do it while he's、True. playing in Europe for the next month.、That's、However,、right. yeah,、him. apparently, well, it's very expensive here. And I've looked into it because I don't have、mm. a husband or a boyfriend. So, and, you know, maybe I'd like a kid, but for sure, I am of a certain age now where you have to think of those things. You're right. <laughs> Which is so, so weird take, still. Take well, a trip to Spain, maybe to free your income. Maybe I'll go to Spain. I don't know. Probably I won't <laughs> go to Spain. I'll stay in America, but it's very expensive. So I would have to save、wow. up. And then you don't even know if it's going to work. You're right. Is there government aid maybe for that or no? Because in no, Canada, you wish there、have. would be. Canada does, America doesn't.、Yeah. Uh, mm. If you work for Vogue or a big magazine company or a big startup, they have、uh, stuff for females where they pay for it. But if you're an independent、gotcha. contractor, you just have to pay for it yourself. So, so Taylor's going to play in Europe and then his girlfriend's going to maybe do that. So, there you go. Yeah, you、They're、never having, know. They both have their thing going there. So, everybody's <laughs> happy. <do> <laughs> But Taylor's doing well. You know, he's won his, his round there again. So,、uh, you know, he's getting there. And yeah,、TFO's、he's getting there. Well, and、so. speaking of Taylor Fritz, Our theme today is big forehands. We're going to discuss breaking down a forehand and、mm-hmm. how, how you get a big forehand, how you get a solid, consistent forehand. But I want to start out with 
your top five best forehands ever, Oogie. And yeah. I'm going to give you my top five. And then we're going to break down the forehand technique a little bit and discuss it. And let's see if we're on the same page here. Yeah, well, um, like I said in the past, I mean, in one of our podcasts, for sure, for me, the biggest forehand is Juan Martin Del Potro. He has the biggest forehand I've ever seen. So I mean, would I've you give him it. the number one spot? Oh, yeah. He's the num- I've wrote, I've written number okay. one. He's right there. So he's the okay. number one for me, for sure. Super flat. He's got this big loop. He's very tall. So that ball's coming from high. It's going to stay low. And, you know, he's going to try to come back and play the U.S. Open this year. So that's something to look for because we're going to see his forehand again. It's going to yeah. be huge. How exciting would that be? Oh, it's going to be awesome. He's training right now. He said uh, he said something like, I, I want to play the U.S. Open one last time. So, uh, I, I mean, you'll be there. So I just have to find my way there and find your way over i wish i'd be playing but because he won the u.s open he'll be able to get a wild card which will allow him to play which i think is well thought out if the u.s open agrees they definitely should give it to him because he should have one more time at the u.s open to say goodbye the right way that's right because he was injured before he couldn't do it you know that much he did a little tour in argentina one tournament and he was so sad you know remember he cried the whole last game he was shaking almost and, yeah as an athlete uh, you don't want to have to walk away when you're not ready that's right um so yeah well in any we'll sport that. so that's yeah so that's my that's my top okay one right so there. he's then, your number one who's your number two and I've we're going roger. off male and female yeah, okay roger right. combined i've got roger number two roger's you know, number put two roger right up there i mean his forehand is huge and with variety as well, you know, just inside out and cross court angle and just flat out when he, you know, whacked Nadal off and the Australian Open final a couple of years back, it was just monumental. So for me, number three, I've got Steffi Graf. So Steffi's okay. got the best forehand all time for women for me. So I put her right there. Uh, I couldn't help myself. I put Kyrgios in there as well. Oh, I like that I you mean- put Kyrgios as number four. He's got, it's so he's, loose. His, it's so loose. Just, and yeah. Hmm. It's a loose yeah, arm. That racket speed is amazing, you know? So I put him I put him over there as well. Okay. Uh, the last one I had was Pete Sampras. For me, Pete, because on the run, for me, he was the best forehand. On the run, you know? Like he best was going forehand running out. down the line shot. Yeah. Yep. It was just, it was huge. The way he put his left hand in front of him and just moved that hand out of the way and just boom against Agassi. So many winners of the forehand wing and, so, yeah, for me, that's my top five right there. And what about okay. your top five? I, li- I like your top five. Okay, so my number one is Roger Federer. Okay. And I picked that because what you said, his variety, but his foot positioning, the way mm. he could run around the court and find a forehand anywhere and get his feet balanced and push off his right leg was magical. So right. I'm going to give him number one. Okay, number two, I'm going to give to Stephanie Graf, a.k.a. Steffi Graf, as we tennis lovers know her. Yeah. Her forehand was so dominant. And again, her foot placement, how she got that forehand, she could be in the far backhand corner and be ripping forehands anywhere on that court. And amazing. just her footwork, her setup, the timing of it, I'm going to give her number two. Yep. Okay, number three. I have to give it to the king of clay, Rafael Nadal. Lefty yeah, for sure. forehand, 
his spin, the arc on the ball. He can yep. do the reverse forehand like no other person can. You're and right. Just how he gets out of trouble with it, how he it's just all over the court. He he is well. Like Steffi Graf, just lefty. He can find that forehand, right? You're right. You're say, I mean, he, he said that he, he finished that loop when he was yes. young because he put so much top spin on the ball. Yes. He couldn't finish all the way here. He yeah. would go all the way over. All the way over. Because, yeah. So, I mean, he worked and he's on so that. He's so strong because, that he can yeah. do that. Yeah, and huge muscle bicep, so yeah. Number four, I'm going to give to Monica Sellis. Now she had a two-handed forehand, but she was right. lefty, and just her the way she used both of her hands. But that mm -hmm. left forehand was brutal, and I know because I hit some serves 120 miles an hour at it, and it, they came back faster. So <laughs> just her hand-eye coordination, her setup. If she hadn't have gotten stabbed, she might have yeah. beaten Steffi Graf in oh, yeah. Grand Slams. You never mm -hmm. know. I mean, Steffi's yeah. amazing, but Monica Sellis was toe-to-toe, -to -toe, was yeah. passing her. And I played her when she wasn't at her prime, but she mm -hmm. was still close. And the forehand was unbelievable. And just when did, even when her... When did you play her? I played her in 2000... 2001 in Tokyo. Okay. On so hard synthetic courts, yeah. synthetic grass indoors. And oh, it was really? 7676 Monica and I think it was like 108 119 and I had set points. Oh, for and sure. She I mean, got me. Yep, and she got me on that forehand a bunch of times. So wow. I actually faced that forehand so I'm going to give her number 4. Okay. Yeah, but I think her backhand was even better though. Her huh? backhand right? was better, but the forehand was underrated and it was dangerous. Yeah. It was tricky because she was cross-handed. Like Yeah. She did switch. lefty. She was, yeah, she did lefty yeah. and lefty. She had Top her left hand. hand at the bottom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. hmm. So wow. okay, then I was thinking about this, Ugi, because I have Del Porto in there. So I have a three-way tie, okay? Oh. I watched the Masters of 1981, Ivan Jeez. Lendl versus Bjorn Borg. Because yeah. I was looking at 1981, okay, let's look at court positioning, what's different today in today's game, and mm -hmm. then, okay, let me tell you, Ugi, those two guys could play in today's game and be number one and two again. Their yeah, footwork, sure. their court positioning is better than some of the top 20 players that I've watched. It's true. Especially, and he was running around that backhand all the oh, time. Oh, yeah. And his semi-Western forehand and how yeah. he created that the inside out. Mm -hmm. And it was massive. His power, his accuracy. So I'm giving him fifth place with Bjorn Borg and Del Portro. Now, Bjorn Borg forehand, I feel like that was also a little bit underrated. Mm -hmm. He he could change direction. He moved in. He was known for the backhand and the baseline play, but he was moving into the court. He was moving back. I'm telling you, Ugi, go look at that 1981 match. You will be impressed with the movement. And then I had to throw in Del Portro for number the fifth way tie just because it's an amazing forehand, right? You can't leave yeah, him out. that's right. Okay, so You're those right. are my top five.
Yeah, I mean, of course, with you know Borg and Del Potro, it's tough to compare, of course, because of the not technology. Yeah, I mean, Ivan Lund, they're they're playing with wood rackets. I'm pretty sure it's it's a grainy YouTube video, but (laughs) these rackets are small, and even the fact that they could hit as hard as they could with these forehands with a small head. So I play with a 97 inch head right now, which is small. Mm -hmm. And I used to play with a 90 inch. You remember the red head? Yeah. I think right. their rackets were like 88. Oh, maximum. It was small. I mean, imagine those rackets. And I, uh, when I when I played the the tournament in Montreal, I stayed with one of my best buddies who has a a big uh, tennis shop. It's called Tennis Zone. It's one of the best in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I stayed with him. And the room is like, okay, I'm gonna have you a little my my weight room. So I'm going. Okay, there's gonna be weight and bikes and. He had stuff from tennis all over the place. I was oh, in that's heaven. So cool. I had like um, a Djokovic Lacoste shirt signed, and then Jimmy Connors like two rackets signed as well. And you know what? I said something about Joel Drucker, and he knew him. He really? Knew him, of course. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Jimmy Connors was uh, Pierre Alain's favorite player. So he had a bunch of stories about Jimmy Connors and and you know Joel and he had his book. He had Joel's book with him at home. Oh so my I gosh, you read, have to take I a picture of it for me with him started, in the book and I'll send it to Joel. For sure, I'll do that. And I start to read the book because I don't have it here. But <laughs> yeah. then I start to read the book that we talked about like two weeks ago. Oh, cool. I got to tell and Joel then, you read some of his book. Yeah, that's right. And his that's pictures awesome. in there. And uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. So a bunch of stuff. And, and I saw... Jimmy Connors says racket, the original, like, you know, metal. And it's a one. small head. Yeah. It's this big. Yeah. I'm like, it's like maybe 50 or 60 square inch. Yeah. It's so small. How can you hit a tennis ball with that and well, be strong? Because like they 80 had, pounds, I think. They had the best hand eye coordination. They had to learn it, right? Well, sure. now, now kids are playing with 100, 104 inch racket heads. And you have to tell them to watch the ball. But yeah. back in those days, you had mm. to watch the ball or else you missed the shot. That's right. right? Yeah. That's, it that's, was, I mean, that's a difference. Can you imagine like yeah. these guys today? Like Nadal, if we would have to play with Jimmy Connors racket. With the swing? I don't know. He couldn't top well, spin the ball. He, he would he's have such to, a great, you know, he would have to change it and yeah, come through adapt, it more. Of he, course. he couldn't do the like the reverse lasso whip. You're right. <laughs> Okay, With Nadal's so, forehand, huh? So you got that going on. That's yeah, perfect. I got I got his forehand. Okay, so the forehand, we got to stay a little bit more on the forehand technique mm-hmm. because a lot of players don't have strong forehands. But the ones that do have strong forehands have three things. Okay, so I'm going to give you my three things that they have really well. Yep. Okay, so their split step turn is quick. Yeah. Their left arm is in front of them and follows through with them with fluidity. Mm -hmm. And then their setup with their right leg is very strong and they're able to push off of it well. You're right. I totally agree with those three things right there. Okay. So what what would you give me? What three things would you give me? I mean, I would have pretty much the, the same, the same ones because the body unit turn at first is so crucial. Yeah. As soon as you see that ball coming, split to your step forehand, turn boom. right away. Yeah, you have to go right away because sometimes, a lot of times, you you go around your backhand, so you have to be super quick. Mm-hmm. So you have to be quick. So that footwork has to well, be there. Because I have to add, I'd add a, a addendum. When Serena was at her best and not freaking out with her forehand, 
Mm-hmm. She her split turn on her forehand was on point and Richard worked on that all the time, getting that turn. And she yep. was the fastest at that turn. So I have to add her in for that. You know, her forehand can get a little oh, yeah. crazy. But yeah. continue. Sorry to interrupt because I just no, no. I, that thought I forgot that I put Serena in there for her turn. But yeah, what you, I mean, the turn Serena's is perfect. so important. Yep. If that you don't have a good so turn and that's where I'm going to lead you in to the grip. So I yeah, had those right. three things, but we didn't talk about the grip. So the people with the best forehands have semi-Western or Eastern grips. Yeah, you're right. Except Nadal. Yeah, Nadal is Western. Not yeah. It's not full Western because he's lefty. Would yeah, you call right. it full it's not Western? Western but no, it's, it, it changes a little bit. I mean, yeah, he moves it a little bit. Compare his grip to... You know, like ten years ago, it's yeah. And today, and, and then it if you look at it on clay and then grass, he's able yep. to drive through the ball on grass, and then on You're clay, right. he can do whatever he wants on the clay because he's the king of clay, right? Yeah, and so he, that's why that's it. That's it. He has to adjust. So the the grip is really important because of the drive through the ball. So the load of your right leg, if you have the right grip and the right turn, you can get the extension through the court, and that's how the forehand becomes a weapon. That's right. Exactly. And for me, the most important point of the ones you said, and I totally agree, is the left arm. As soon as that mm-hmm. left arm goes on the side, if you seek out the pictures on, on all the sides and you see Roddick and Agassi and Federer and all the players, they just put that left arm like parallel to the baseline. And yes. that's your audience. That's super important to remember. As soon as that ball's coming, body unit turn and turn that left arm parallel to the baseline. And then... You're fully ready. That rack is back there. The ball bounces and you're already starting to hit. Yep. And that's the timing right there. Because when the ball bounces on your side, you have to be ready. If you're not ready, then you're not going to come through that ball and hit, you know. Yeah. And if your left arm is down by your left side or it's like bent or it's your hand is up, you just, you lose your balance because it takes away your proprioception of the ball and the awareness of how you're supposed to hit through it. Exactly. That's exactly it. And we, when we uh, compare uh, some forehands, that left hand, if it's a little bit in front, it's not going to have that big body turn. So if it's right here on the side, both hands are the same and they're about mm-hmm. apart a couple feet, then they move together as well when you start to hit. So yeah. that, that hip is coming through, that back hip is going to turn first and that left hand as well. So it's like your your hand is pulling your hip forward at the same time and then you just hit that ball because you're turning before you hit. So it's it's it goes naturally. Yeah, I agree. Well said, Oogie. All right. So that's the little technique on the forehand. Okay, so let's dive into a little bit about we'd mentioned him, Rafael Nadal, the king of clay. It is clay mm-hmm. season, and yeah. we have no Nadal. That's right. It's so weird. Is it it's bizarre? weird enough we don't have Federer going? Now we yeah, we, we Roger yeah. retired last well last fall, and mm-hmm. we we do have Carlos Alcaraz, but you know what? You cannot call Carlos Alcaraz the king of clay. He does not have fourteen French Opens. Jeez, that's so many titles. So many. He has, Carlos has a long way to go to get fourteen. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, maybe oh, we call him couple, the but... princeling of clay. See, if he wins this year, we'll call him the prince. 
the but prince of clay. But we to, cannot retire Nadal yet. Everybody's talking about, oh, he's hurt. What he's he's fading out. I mean, he just won a Grand Slam to make it twenty two recently Sorry. in the last yeah. year. You cannot count out Nadal at this French Open. I mean, he's gonna like Tony said uh, two days ago. He's gonna try to play Rome. He's gonna play Rome. Yeah, uh, Uncle Tony from, yep. came out. Yeah, that's right. If he's coming out to say something about Rafa, then we're listening to it for yes. sure. Yes, because he's right there every day. So, uh, so he's gonna play Rome, and I have to to tell you that I'm excited and and I'm crossing my fingers that that goes well. You know, not retiring if he wins or lose or. It doesn't matter. That's really. okay he if just, he goes and plays. He has to play. He yeah. has to play matches and win a couple of rounds, hopefully, but not retiring at some point. Because and you know what they did interesting this year? Sorry to interrupt you, but they did 10 days of Madrid and 10 days of Rome. So it's a longer tournament, which yep. gives the players a little more recovery time. That's good stuff. So that's helpful. I mean, helpful. they need to do that. Yeah, they need to do that because they need to play not every day. And you need a certain day off sometime. And mm -hmm. uh, let's say over seven days, you need two days off. So you play two, three days and then a day off. And that's maximum. So for him, that's great. And his hip flexor injury has to he has to take time to make sure he's he's okay, you know. So I can't wait for that. Yeah, I'm can't excited. So I have a, a good little quote for you. Confucius said a person must develop rituals to have good character. Nadal has many rituals, Oogie. Let's discuss a couple of them. Wow, you say many? It's unbelievable. He's superstitious. I, I, he like might have like at least 20 things, right? I mean, at least. And, and we're not even every day with him. Could you imagine his life every oh, day? Every his day. Must he nuts. must have like 50. <laughs> It's so funny, what, but you know like, what? It makes him able to control what he can control on the court, right? Because true, in tennis true. and me being mentally tough, you know you can't control the other side of the court. All you mm -hmm. can do is control yourself, your emotions, how you handle things, what you drink. He labels his bottles of water. He put, puts the labels in the right place. He can control that. He can walk on the court with one racket in his hand. That's controllable. What mm -hmm. else? Uh, he waits for his opponent to cross the net. He can control that because he waits. He tugs mm -hmm. at his shorts in various different places. That's a controllable thing. And I remember working with a sports psychologist, Mike Gervais, one of the best in the world. Mm -hmm. And he said, when I had my shoulder injury, because I was so devastated, he said, yeah. what can you control? You can't control the outcome. You can control mm -hmm. the, how you perform yep. and how you handle yourself and how you carry yourself. You can't control your shoulder right now and how it's recovering. But if you handle yourself well, you're mentally tough and you just focus on point by point, you'll be able to feel better and be able to compete. Well, Nadal is one of the best at that. You're right. And I mean, he's always humble. Yeah. And he, he makes knows. sure that he respects all the players, yep. the opponents, no lack of respects there. Never. Yeah. And he knows how to suffer in a match, Yugi. That's a very important trait. As a junior yeah. tennis player, if you learn how to suffer and still win, yep. that means you're going to be tough in tennis and life. You're right, because... That's called, you know, 
um, pushing his limits. You push those limits every time a little bit more, and then suddenly you're like, "Ooh, I've become mentally tough because I can deal with." Oh, I've I've played three and a half hours in super heat. Okay, I can do that. I played with mm -hmm. a little injury. Okay, I didn't like I had to serve underhand yesterday to win my match because I pulled a muscle in my stomach. Yeah, that's perfect. Talking about suffering, you just suffered, Ugi, with your with your stomach pull. You're right. And you I figured mean, I, out how to serve. Tell me what you did. I mean, I I was playing this uh this guy's from brazil actually so uh a lot of you know we're like like you guys you know in the u.s canada has a lot of uh people from all over the place uh so you know i played for somebody today from belgium and then yesterday somebody from brazil and around before that i had somebody from argentina so carlos and then the felipe yesterday from uh, brazil so he's running all over the place and he's super tough and fit and suddenly I'm kicking serve and I'm pulling a muscle in my stomach. So I'm like, oh, I started to serve again and I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't serve. I couldn't really push and extend my arm. So I'm like, okay, what am I doing? I'm going to serve underhand like Kyrgios. So I'm starting <laughs> to serve underhand. The opponent has no idea what's going on. He's, he's, I'm, I'm seeing in his face that he's wondering, is that legal? <laughs> can you do that? Yep. And I'm like, yeah, I can, I can do that for sure. You know, so, um, and I didn't, I didn't slice it underhand because it's kind of like he's going to, you know, he's going to attack me all the time. I yeah. can't do that. I, I did it two times, but, uh, and then he drop shot me like super soft. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. He just put the softest touch on the forehand. I'm like, okay, I'm not running that. It just clipped the net. And it's so I actually hit top spin serves with my forehand, like angle even on the deuce side. I was able to get you him on the run. You found a way to win. Yeah. I found a way to win. Yep. You didn't actually, panic. No, because it was like I won six four, and then that was the beginning of second set, and I won six two. I won even easier that set. So I actually found a good solution, and he looked kind of not knowing what to do. Especially he was hitting harder, and whoops, he would miss, or he would like just soft put it in, and I would attack. So it's tough. Have you ever played somebody who had to serve underhand the whole match? No, it's hard, and I love oh. that you did that. You didn't panic. You didn't give up. You figured out how to win that match and yeah. serve legally yeah, right? yeah. I just if you serve underhand on yeah and yeah. you can serve underhand legally as long as yep. the ball doesn't bounce that's right uh, yeah of yeah. course I, I i i stepped it up in the air and then whew, yeah i, just I love it the biggest forehand yeah See, nadal, would have, nadal might have done that too oogie yeah you're right maybe i figured out probably did that now we know we know yeah. curious does that on purpose but he's yeah. he's a different animal <laughs> that's right he's he's in his zone himself yeah you're well right. a, another thing about nadal and then we can move on a little bit but the the last thing that i loved which is he's just the fighter of the century in yep. all sports is when he played the match in 2008 against roger federer and he won nine seven when he came off and it was it was a five set marathon classic match probably of, one of the one I mean, of top the five for yeah, sure one for of the sure. top five darkness was out, creeping in yeah I, I i've never expected him to win on grass. it was I mean, amazing but huge. he came off the court and said relax i'm not going to lose this match maybe federer will win but i'm not going to lose it and that's exactly what we've just been talking about he doesn't worry about what he can't control yeah so you're right it's so yeah, important I mean, to know that as a player but also to coach that to players so they can not freak 100%. out about playing and losing you just play to win 
and you don't want to lose. Yeah. But you might lose, but that's okay. Because if you play to win, at the end of the day, you did your job. Exactly. That's all you can ask. I mean, for real. And to me, that's that's so true at all levels. Our juniors we coach, people on TV. And today, Hugo Gaston, a guy from France, plays Zverev. And he didn't show up in second set. He, mm -hmm. And 6-1 for Zverev first set. And then he just abandoned in the second set like it was sad to see. And I'm like, what are you doing, dude? You're yeah. making a living out of playing tennis. There's people in happens. the stands. And you have to... You have to play every have to point perform. like it's the last. Yeah, yeah, exactly. have to. Kind of example you set your kids or to whoever you're, is watching you. You're not getting fans for no. you if you do that as a player. It's terrible. Never, never give up, Oogie. Never give in. Exactly. You know what? I actually won a match in my tournament that I was down 6-4, 5-4, and the guy stopped the match. What? It was amazing. In this tournament, in my second round, I was, I was going to lose that match. But you know what? I because my racket I strung at 40 pounds. Could you imagine? It was way too loose. No, too loose. Normally I string at 54 normally, but I string loose and then I had to, you know, I was just I had it, you know, I had I wanted to try if I can spin the ball more, but I was missing shots and the guy was really playing well. And then he had a cramp in his left hip and it didn't go away. So from that second set on, I would just I would just make rally more, make him run more. And I'm him. like, okay, I'm not yep. playing well and you're probably gonna win. But you know what? I'm going to try my best. And at the end, he just shook my hand at 5-4. He's like, man, I can't get up from my chair. So yeah, the match see? is over. And you won the so, match because you didn't give yeah, up and you played that's smart. Right. That's the fabulous. Well, thing to you know, Mr. Nadal does that all the time, but also Mr. Federer does. And we do miss him. But I have yeah. to say, Ugi, it's April 30th right now. And tomorrow, yep. when this podcast comes out, is the first Monday in May. And in mm. my calendar, that is a big day. You want to oh, know yeah. why? There's some. There's got to be something with fashion for you, right? Yes. It's the Met Gala with Ooh. Anna Wintour and Vogue. And Roger Federer is a co-chair this year. Wow, a co-chair, huh? He's a co-chair, which means he's a part of the event. He's part. He's hosting, and mm -hmm. he's hosting with du Dua Lipa, the pop star, okay. Penelope yep. Cruz, the Academy Award winner, mm -hmm. Michaela Cole, who was a star in Black Panther, yep. the movie, and Miss Anna Wintour, the editor of Vogue. Not a bad wow. crew to be hosting Jeez. with, huh? It's going to chill there for sure. And the theme is... Carl Lagerfeld, a line of beauty. So they are honoring the late Carl Lagerfeld, who is a famous designer. You will yep. know the brand Chanel, mm -hmm. Fendi, yep. Balmain. You know that one? It's French. <laughs> and you pronounce it very well too. Balmain. Thank you. Balmain. It. It's not Balmain. Yep. It's Balmain. And Puteau. And mm. he and also Carl Lagerfeld, the brand. And he was just amazing. It was so sad when he passed, but he left all his money to Pouchette, Pouchette, mm. his cat. He wow. was he was That's a little like, he was a little eccentric, Oogie. Uh, the cat flies on a private jet and has artwork in her house. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. And Kim Kardashian went and consulted with her on what outfit to wear. It was a big thing on social media. But okay. anyway, tomorrow that's happening. So we will be discussing it on Sunday, next Sunday, Ugi. So you better check it out. Okay. 
I will definitely do something about that this week. And I will also, uh, for myself, I will probably check out the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is coming out May 5th. Oh, oh yeah, which that's going to be exciting. Which is my oldest daughter's birthday, Amelia's ooh, birthday. Oh, Amelia, May 5th. May, yeah. May 5th. Okay, and it's that's also be... May the 4th. No, that's the 4th, <laughs> not the mm -hmm. 5th. That's Cinco de Mayo. You guys celebrate Cinco de Mayo? Uh, no, because it's in Mexico. It's in Spain, Spanish, but... Uh, well, you're still I North America. Okay, yeah, well, we out yeah. here in California, we definitely celebrate oh, Cinco de Mayo. For sure. What are you going to do for that birthday oh, right there? Cinco de I'm, Mayo. I don't know. I'm going to go do Pilates. That's what I'm going to do. Friday's okay. my day off. I do Pilates. <laughs> Probably maybe eat something Mexican. Maybe that would be nice. Yeah, I might have, might have some tacos and guacamole, some, some California special guacamole. Fish oh, tacos. You got to oh, come yeah. out and have some fish tacos with me. I have to go eat that pink taco with you again. That was awesome. Yeah, that was fun. Okay, that so, that was good, so Oogie, this has been a lot of fun. We covered the forehand, Clay, Rafa Nadal. Until next week when we talk again, we're going to have a special guest, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed it. This has been Serving Aces with Alexander Stevenson. If you like us, please follow us at Serving Aces at Alexander Stevenson. You can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcast or Believe.com. Have a great night and see you next week. See you next week, guys. Bye-bye.